Good morning, Milwaukee Rockers. Welcome to our Rock Solid podcast, where we talk about your favorite artists. I'm Rachel. I'm Anastasia. And I'm Eric. Today is December 2nd, so let's play our Artist of the Week. Do you recognize this song? Today we will be talking about one of our favorite bands. A fun fact to help you, if you didn't recognize the song already, is that the band was thrown out of their own record release party. Do you have any guesses? You're right. Our band of the week is Nirvana. Nirvana was a grunge band comprised of the lead singer, songwriter, and guitarist Kurt Cobain, bassist Novoselic, and drummer Aaron Burkhard. Later, he was replaced by Chad Channing and then finally Dave Grohl. Their first performance together was at a house party in 1987, but they were a much different band back then than if they were compared to, to the band they were in 1993. You know, I've always loved Nirvana because of their super unique grunge sound. When I picture a rock artist, I usually think of the Beatles, Elvis Presley, and maybe Led Zeppelin. Yeah, me too. Their sound really changed the way people thought about and pictured rock and roll. They created this new sound in rock and roll through many of the technological advances they had available to them. The best way to really understand how they utilize these different technological advances is by comparing their sound to other popular rock bands at the time. Here's the beginning to Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Now compare that to the sound of In Bloom by Nirvana. Clearly, you can hear the difference by the distortion in In Bloom. Sweet Child of Mine has a crisp guitar sound, but in In Bloom, you can hear the feedback in the guitar. It sounds a little bit messier and more like a raw, unedited sound. This is exactly what Nirvana wanted to go for, and it's what got them their grunge reputation. You may be wondering, how did Nirvana create these unique grunge sounds? According to Lee Glenn at Professional Music Technology, they created their unique sounds through a distortion pedal, a small clone chorus pedal, and a loud, quiet technique. These techniques formed the classic Nirvana sound. Let's look at how the distortion pedal works. In simple terms, if you imagine a sine graph getting clipped to only allow certain portions of the graph to be heard and or exist, then you have a good idea of the basic understanding of distortion in general. Now. Imagine a pedal that you can press on that does this based on how much pressure you apply to it. This is a distortion pedal according to howtogeek.com. One example where they use distortion pedals in it is in something in the way. Something in the way. 
Did you hear the guitar making a high-pitched sound that it normally wouldn't? That is an example of the distortion pedal in use. Other techniques that were used in this song that were used in the song, but we want to focus in on the guitar for this one. Wow, that's really cool, Eric. Isn't it amazing how the use and manipulation of technology can create new sounds? The small clone chorus pedal was another important pedal that Kurt Cobain used in Smalls Like Teen Spirit, Come As You Are, and many other popular songs. This pedal works similarly to the distortion pedal, but it creates a wobbly water sound, according to GroundGuitar.com. It also doesn't really distort the sound, but rather copies the signal multiple times to make it sound like there are multiple versions of the signal that are played in slight delay, according to Reverb.com. Here's an example in Serve the Servants. This is the beginning of the song, and you can hear a wobbly kind of sound with the guitar that sounds a little bit like it's echoing. This is a small clone chorus pedal in use. Rachel, would you like to talk a little bit about the loud quiet technique? Of course, Anna, I would love to. Nirvana's loud quiet technique was all about contrast. These dynamic contrasts showed their fans both their vulnerability and their duality as a band. They utilized this by making their verses quiet and their choruses loud. Some other rock and grunge bands use a fort constant forte dynamic in order to express their complete anger and frustration with the world. Nirvana was able to express these feelings in a different, more unique way. I think that the soft parts of their songs are almost more impactful than the loud ones. They make you truly listen to what they're saying. An example of this technique is one of Nirvana's songs called You Know You're Right. Let's take a listen. Were you able to hear the big contrasts in dynamics? I know, I sure did. Nirvana used this technique in this song and in many others. Nirvana wanted to make their live music sound exactly like it did in their recordings. They did this through tracking. Nirvana would record the full band and guitar overdubs in Studio, studio A, a very lively room, while most of the final vocals were recorded in Studio B, a dead, dry room. These rooms were made differently as they would be able to capture the best sound of each of the instruments as they recorded. Studio A was especially unique as it, was, as it had a very strange shape and construction. Getting back to tracking, Nirvana would try to maximize isolation. Drummer Dave Grohl placed his drums in the middle of the room while guitar and bass amplifiers were placed on the sides away from each other. On a side note, Dave Grohl has been playing for the Foo Fighters since 1994. These strategic placements are one of the many things that Nirvana tried to be as authentic to their live performances as they were in their recordings. All of this information was provided by Matt Zopa.
Another way that Nirvana made their music so unique is by bending the rules and combining different genres of rock together. To quote Kurt Cobain, I want it to be totally Led Zeppelin in a way, and then be totally extreme punk rock, and then do real wimpy pop songs, which he says was inspired by the Pixies. Following in the lead of the Pixies, Nirvana moved between spare bass and drum grooves and shrill bursts of screaming guitar and vocals, according to a Guitar World interview with Kurt Cobain. Here's Here Comes Your Man by the Pixies. Sound familiar? That's right. It sounds a little bit like Nirvana's Come As You Are. Nirvana actually contemplated whether or not to release Come As You Are because it had not only sounded like this Pixies song, but also like the song 80s by Killing Joke. Nirvana's manager explained in the book Eyewitness Nirvana, The Day by Day Chronicle, that Cobain was nervous about Come As You Are to being too similar, and he was right, because Killing Joke did complain and took it as far as taking initial legal action. However, it did not progress any further. Upon further research, you can see that this stolen riff was in fact borrowed by many bands in many different songs, including Killing Joke's usage in 80s. This is a common problem the artists face when creating new music. What's considered too similar, and what's considered new? I feel like especially nowadays, it is difficult to be truly original. Lots of the artists today are sampling older songs and making, their ad- making it their own. Would this be considered a new song because a current artist revamped it? You know, Eric, I honestly don't know. I feel like it could go both ways. Sometimes YouTube likes to recommend videos to me that play a current popular song and then play the song sampled after it. Most of the time, I have no idea that the original song was being sampled. Taking inspiration from an artist is much different than sampling or copying their sound. I almost wish there was more transparency when it came to sampling music. Me too, honestly. Nirvana mostly liked taking inspiration from other artists and turning that sound into something of their own. Nirvana specifically took inspiration from Guns N' Roses, Led Zeppelin, and the Pixies. By transforming the sounds of these popular artists into their own, Nirvana created a whole new type of sound eventually becoming the first band to be labeled as grunge. They didn't like labels, however, nor did they want to be labeled. Their music was mainly about dark issues, including mental health and drug abuse, that nobody else really wanted to address. Cobain was able to use his fame to express these feelings, in addition to his distaste towards economic gain through straying from yourself. Economic gain is huge in the music industry. Some artists will change their sound completely in order to stay relevant and appeal to the masses. One artist in particular that I can think of is Taylor Swift. Many Taylor Swift fans may say that she was just exploring different music genres or that she was growing up when she came out with her album Reputation. But today, we can see through her most recent album, Folklore, 
that she feels most comfortable with a more mellow and country approach to pop. But who am I to speak for Taylor Swift? It's just an interesting observation. Many artists are able to resist the constant need to please and can remain consistent with who they are. Nirvana struggled doing this as well, as we are able to hear the difference between two of their albums. Nirvana's first album, Bleach, released in 1989, was very different than the two that follow it in that the lyrics were much darker and the music was more on the heavy rock side. It seems as if Nirvana became what they were fighting, which is appealing to the mainstream media and a desire of fandom by making their music more appealing to the masses. Here's Negative Creep from Bleach. And here's their most popular song of all time, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Sounds like they changed up their sound and lyrics to be a little more tamed in order to appeal to more people and have more people hear their music. By changing up their style in this way, they created what is known as grunge, but along with appealing to the masses came casual fans, which Kurt Cobain felt took meaning away from Nirvana's work because they did not listen closely, nor did they hear what they had to say. So here's a line from Nirvana's In Bloom. Here, Kurt Cobain points to the fact that their casual fans listen to pretty music and they sing along, but they don't understand that it isn't in fact pretty music. It's serious and has meaning. The cognitive dissonance that came from creating music that appealed to the masses while disagreeing with artists that did exactly that led Kurt Cobain's mental health to spiral out of control. He found himself in an extremely conflicting situation that would bring unimaginable stress to any one of us. Treehouse Recovery says that he often called himself a pile of contradictions because he would complain about being famous, but also about how not enough people watched Nirvana's music videos. He began to heavily use drugs and alcohol, eventually leading to and accelerating many of the mental health issues Kurt Cobain encountered. On top of the drug and mental health issues Kurt was facing, the Cold War also contributed to putting stress and pressure on him and many people around the world. If you're not too familiar with the Cold War, it's time for a little history lesson. The Cold War itself wasn't an actual physical war, as the name might be misleading. 
It was actually a period of time during the 1990s where the Soviet Union and the United States were having a nuclear missile standoff. At any moment, either one of the countries was ready to send nuclear warheads over to the other country. This had a huge impact on American society as people lived in constant fear of possible nuclear war. This made many people who were aware think that they were living their last days on this planet. This was something that added more stress to Kurt's life than he already had. Even after the Cold War had stopped due to the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the United States was dealing with the Gulf War in the Middle East and civil unrest with riots in Los Angeles due to police brutality. Despite these events, however, the 90s are actually considered the decade of peace, prosperity, and internet, according to History.com. So American people, including Kurt Cobain, were able to focus on themselves and their lives. But back to Nirvana. It's no secret that with fame comes easily accessible substances, such as drugs and alcohol. For many artists, substance abuse was a way to cope with the constant attention and need for adrenaline that was experienced on stage. Kurt Cobain specifically fell victim to the serious side of the spotlight. Even before the spotlight, Cobain's family mentioned that he had been showing signs of depression and deep instability in his life. CBS News mentions that at a young age, Kurt Cobain was diagnosed with ADD and then bipolar disorder, and he did not receive appropriate treatment for either of them. It was common 30 years ago that mental health illnesses were not treated or even went undiagnosed. Here are a few lyrics in which it seems that Kurt Cobain reaches out for help. I'm so happy cause today I found my friends in my head. I'm so ugly, that's okay cause so are you. Broke on me is Sunday morning, is every day for all I care, and I'm not scared. I'm not like them, that can pretend The sun is gone, and I have a light The day is done, and I'm having fun I think I'm dumb, maybe just happy It is obvious that Cobain was crying out for help through his music. In fact, he even wanted to name what is now called In Utero, the last album in 1993 before Cobain's suicide in 1994, I Hate Myself and Want to Die. This wasn't allowed, as record company feared that it would not send a good message to the youth of America. Eventually, the fame that he didn't want, the untreated mental health illnesses, and a heroin addiction led Kurt Cobain to take his own life on April 5, 1994 by a self-inflicted shotgun wound into the head and was found three days later in his home. His suicide led to a worldwide panic that many other young people would take their own lives as well. You would think that after this traumatic event, people would respect and honor Kurt while addressing the issues that led him to his suicide. But even today, people are capitalizing on Cobain's death. A while ago, I saw t-shirts at Urban Outfitters that had passages of Kurt Cobain's personal journals on a t-shirt. Even after looking into Cobain's death, I saw people had put his suicide note on a shirt and were selling it. 
It is so sad and heartbreaking that people are trying to make money off of someone else's death. It is blatant disrespect. Or even if you are someone who is struggling with mental health and you see a huge company like Urban Outfitters profiting off of someone else's mental health troubles, I feel like it sends the message that nobody really cares. And if you were to seek help, you wouldn't be taken seriously. It feels like a step backwards in terms of mental health in the United States. There is still work to be done in the world for understanding mental health and how to respect those who Wow, Anna. I find that awful as well. I can't believe that people think that invading and exploiting someone's privacy is okay, especially when that person has no say in it. It is very sad that things ended up like this. If people were more open to talking about mental health and addiction in the 1990s, this would have been a sign to all Americans that Kurt needed help. I, too, am quite unhappy hearing that something like this is being sold. Now, I want you to imagine someone going into a store. This person has been having mental health issues, and they feel like they don't fit in. Once they see a shirt that had Kurt's suicide letters on it, they're going to be personally hurt, as even today, mental health issues are like a joke to people who don't suffer from them. If you're ever having thoughts of self-harm, help is available. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-372-8255. Stay solid, rockers, and remember, you're not alone.